Dean is a little bit under the weather. He started running a fever a couple days ago, and and uh, yesterday I was out at the Frank Town Festival of Lights. That's getting started. They're going to be putting that together, and we were working. Uh, John, my son, and I were putting together a big wreath, and uh, Chris um, Barnhill came walking up, and he goes, hey, I know you can multitask. We need somebody to teach tomorrow. And he said, can you think of anybody? And I said, well, you know, give me, give me just a second. We started going through names, and, you know, I'm like, how about, well, they've got this or they got that. How about Will Baxter, Chris said. How about Will Baxter? I said, Will Baxter's preaching tomorrow. <laughs> hey, Will, come up with another lesson. So anyway, I said, well, I've got, a, I've got a lesson that I taught about a month ago for the Wednesday night class that's, it's already prepared, and I will use that lesson. I'll be happy to do this. So if you were in the Wednesday night class a month ago, I apologize. This is a repeat, all right? Uh, <laughs> now, let me tell you about this, uh, that class. Um, we started that, that night, and um, we had a request. to. We, we always start out with an old hymn, okay, that we sing. And uh, we had a request that night to sing what a friend we have in Jesus and so there's not really a, a, a seasoned or even a song leader in that class if Wade's not there or Lanny's not there or if Keith Holloway's not there so Mark got up and he, he and, and it's hard anyway because you got half the classes in person and half the classes zooming so um, so uh, Mark got up and he started leading what a friend we have in Jesus and he was leading the words to what a friend we have in Jesus, but he was leading the tune to a different song. Now, I've heard that song before, but I just haven't heard that song with those words before. And so I couldn't really, what song is that? And he got to the end of the first verse and he goes, is that right? <laughs> so as a group, we saved Mark. And it was so funny because Mark said, you know, 20 years ago, having done that would have really bothered me. He said, but today, nah, I don't care. <laughs> and, that, and I think that's a, a, a real side of just what a great guy Mark is. But as we sang that song, it reminded me of something that had happened a couple of months before that. And I'm, I want to start the class by telling you about that. Um, my mom has, uh, was diagnosed about 2012 with Parkinson's disease. And um, we had noticed a couple years before that that she was just so unright. She was always outgoing, always wanting to go do stuff, outspoken. And she just, that was changing. She didn't, you know, she just wanted to stay home. She didn't want to get out. It was just a, it was just a different time for my mom. And we, were, we thought maybe she was depressed. We thought maybe, you know, just what's going on? And uh, finally, you know, several, probably a year and a half, my dad said, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. And so... He, he took her to the doctor, and they ran a bunch of tests, and that's when they, they diagnosed her with Parkinson's disease, and that was in 2012. That was an emotional time for our family. It was kind of a shock. You're wondering what the future's going to hold. You wonder how long the, the future will be. You know, she had a, she, she, it wasn't, she had a little tremor in her right hand, but that was about it. And so she didn't have a lot of those, those symptoms that you think of when you think of Parkinson's. But month after month and, and, and year after year, she slowly and slowly declined to where she is right now. I've got a, I've got a co-worker who says, um, 
once a man, twice a child, that old phrase, and she is in that second childhood stage. She weighs about 90 pounds. She is bedridden. She, she doesn't know anything. Uh, she doesn't know anybody. She can't, rarely does she speak, but she eats well. And, and listen, my dad has takes amazing care of her. He has stayed true to his love for her, number one, and his wedding vows because in sickness and health, my goodness, I respect that man. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, you think you, could, you think you love and respect your parents, and then you see something like he's doing every day, and then he has, and, and that, that love and respect is just exponentially grows. And then he's got a lady who helps him. Her name is Keba Jones, and she's there seven days a week. Four hours on Saturday and Sunday, eight hours Monday through Friday. She is the most wonderful, loving, caring person. My, my dad could not do it without her help. So that's kind of where my mom is right now. And, and um, uh, like I said, I, about two months before that class, it'd be about three months ago now, I went to, I went to see her on a Saturday. And I said, I'm just going to spend time with her. And so I went in the dining room, and I got a chair, and I pulled it in beside her hospital bed in their bedroom. And I just sat down, and I grabbed her hand, and I just started talking to her. And, I, you know, and, and I talked, and we talked. I asked her, you know, do you know me? And, 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 you know, I'm forgetting nothing. And I held her hand. I said, you know, hey, if you know who this is, you know, this is Keith. You know, squeeze my hand. Nothing. And so I, I started talking about all of her relatives, her brothers and her sister. I started talking about her parents. We, I went through grandparents and things we used to do and just, just nothing. You know, it, it finally she started saying, I, I wanna, I wanna. And she, she said, I wanna. And then she finally got out, I want a wash rag. <laughs> and so I got some, some Kleenex and I put it in her hand and, um, and because she always she always had a Kleenex with her, and uh, it's this is an aside. My sister cleaned out her closet. She went through all her purses and her and her uh, her clothes and everything, and she filled up one of those almost to the top one of those uh, kitchen sized trash bags with Kleenexes. <laughs> so anyway, um, after a while, she said, "What do you talk about?" I mean, there's nothing else, you know, so 20 minutes in, I'm just like, I got nothing. I'm getting, you know, it's a one-way conversation. And so I decided, and this is what reminded me in that class about this story, that I was just going to sing some church hymns to her. And so I started singing all those old songs that I sat beside her at the Grant Street Church of Christ in Decatur, Alabama, and sang to her, and we sang together. She taught me. And... Um, I sang, there's power in the blood. I sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. I sang, unclouded day. That's one of my favorite ones. Um, we, I, I sang till I ran out of just, you know, I'm thinking, I wish I'd have, man, I need a songs of the church right here so I could, hymnal, so I could keep singing. And so then I went, well, I'm going to go with all the traditional. So I started singing Amazing Grace and Rock of Ages. And I sang, How Great Thou Art. And then I sang um, uh, uh, 728B, whatever that one is. <laughs> and then 
I was on to the invitation here. Trust and obey. Oh, why not tonight? I mean, I was hitting them all. And y'all, as I was seeing her, I had gone eight years with not a whole lot of emotion after that initial diagnosis. And as I started seeing her, the heat just started rising up my body into my chest. And, and, and my eyes started filling with tears. And, and, I, I, and I was like, what is wrong with me? And I looked out the window, and I was like, you know, I'm going to get myself together. But I couldn't. And, and, I, and I sat there, and I cried with my mother. And, and my, my, all of a sudden, I couldn't see anymore. My, my throat choked up. And, and I had been asking myself, you know, your mother is dying. Why aren't you more emotional about this? But all those, emo as, as I sang, all those emotions came flooding out. And so I've got, a, I've got three good friends that I meet with once a week for breakfast. And I was telling them about this. And they, they were, they were going to interpret my dream, <laughs> interpret my situation. And I think they hit the nail on the head. They said, those songs, as you were singing them to your mom, took you back to when you were a child. And she was fine and normal. And all the things that she did for you and how she introduced Jesus to you. And, all, and I said, you know, you are exactly right. I mean, I would sit in that church pew beside her. She sang alto. And I would sing my little seven-year-old soprano as loud as I could. And I sing too loud today, too. And Stephanie will go, she, she'll go, you're singing too loud. <laughs> but I do that, and, and that woman introduced me to Jesus. She, she taught me. She loved me. She nurtured me. Sometimes I would lay in her lap at church. Y'all did this with your parents. And we had, at Grant Street in Decatur, we had these squares it was just squares, not, not really the, what you see today, the drop ceiling. These were fancy squares in the ceiling. And I would count how many squares are in the ceiling. But laying in her lap and just, that, just the way that she affected my life and, and, that, and that singing brought all of that back out. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story, and we're going to read a passage. And it's, it's about a king of Judah that you've probably heard the name, but you're probably not really familiar with him because we don't, we don't study him a whole lot. King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Um, now, this is in 2 Chronicles 20, if you want to turn there in your Bible. 2 Chronicles 20. Uh, and I want you to listen um, for how, number one, how music intertwines itself in this story. And, and how he relied on God and really followed in the footsteps of his father, who was King Asa, before him, okay? I'm going to give you a little bit of history. We're going to read through this passage. I'm going to make some comments along the way, and then, then we'll be finished. If we've got a little time left, we'll, we'll just wrap it up. We, we may not, but um, just, just a little bit of background. Uh, he was the fourth king of Judah. Yes, ma'am. 2 Chronicles 20 is where we'll be in just a second. 2 Chronicles 20. Uh, but he was the king of Judah. He was the fourth king of Judah. Um, and, and if you remember, after, Solomon, after King Solomon died, David's son, 
the uh, 12 tribes of Israel were kind of broken into a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern king, kingdom was Israel. It was made up of 10 tribes. The southern kingdom was, uh, was uh, now I forgot that, no, no, that's right. The southern kingdom was Judah. It was made up of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, okay? Well, he was the fourth king of that tribe. He, he started, he was 35 years old when his dad died, and then he, he reigned for 25 years. And he really tried to follow in his father's footsteps. As a matter of fact, they, were kind, they kind of mirrored each other as far as, as their uh, time as king. I'm going to read a passage from 1 Kings 22 to begin with just to give you a little bit of uh, background on um, Jehoshaphat's reign. It's a little synopsis, and then we'll get on into Chronicles. This is from 1 Kings 22, beginning verse 41. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilhai, in everything he followed the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Let's talk a little bit about these high places. Before the temple was built, uh, People would go to worship God and other idol kings, I mean idol gods, uh, in these high places, which, you know, I've never been to Israel, but I think of that as almost like a hill or maybe a, a, a certain area that's designated for worship. And those high places got to be uh, associated with idolatry. So uh, it, it says, although he followed God and he followed in his father's ways, the high places were not removed. So there was still some of that idolatry going on while he was reigning as king. Um, Jehoshaphat was at peace with the king of Israel. That's the end of, of uh, the passage there from 1 Kings. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Asa, King Asa, who was Jehoshaphat's father. And, and if you want to read about Asa, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 14 through about 16. So those three chapters right there. The first 10 year of Asa being king, he followed God. He followed God closely. Um, he was partially uh, successful in uh, getting rid of idol, idol worship uh, in that his main thing he did was he cut down the Asherah poles. Now you've probably heard of Asherah poles before. They were poles that were dedicated to the, to the goddess Asherah who was like, the big, there was a god El and the god Asherah, and together they produced 70 different gods. So she was kind of like the mother of a lot of the gods. She was, uh, two, different, two different things I read. One said she was the mother of Baal. The other said she was the wife of the god Baal. So uh, maybe she was both, I don't know. Um, but Asherah was a, was a Canaanite goddess. Okay, and these Asherah poles were, could either be wooden po poles or stylized trees where she was worshipped. Um, she was tied into being the goddess of agriculture as well as fertility. And according to uh, Canaanite myth, um, let's see, well, I've already covered that. 
And if you go to Exodus 34, verse 13, you don't have to turn there, but that's where God condemned the worship of Asherah, Asherah poles, okay? So while Asa got rid of those, it was, it was a good thing. Um, Asa commanded Judah, so the, the southern kingdom, to seek the Lord and obey his commands. He deposed his grandmother, who was her name was Makah, because she was an idol worshiper. Uh, he won most of the battles that he was, was in, defeated Cush's mighty army by calling on the Lord. And he had a large army of fighting men, over half a million. Uh, he made alliances, though, with evil nations. And um, anytime he was confronted with his sin, he became enraged. That sounds like me sometimes. You know, somebody points out something that I'm doing that I know is wrong, I get defensive rather than just accept it and, do, and, and try to do better. So that, that's Asa, okay? So then his son follows him, same, same story. He followed God. He tried to, to get rid of idolatry, but again, he left a little bit uh, behind. Um, when times got challenging for Jehoshaphat, he turned to God for guidance. Now, is that not me? When times are tough, when I get a diagnosis or when my mom gets sick or when, man, I turn to God. I start pleading with God. Uh, but then in the day-to-day, -day, there's a tendency to let down and let some of these sinful things uh, slip in. And that's exactly what happened to, to Jehoshaphat. He, um, he allowed his son, whose name was Jehoram, to marry Ahaliah. Now, Ahaliah, this is kind of a, almost sounds like a, a, a marriage of political convenience. Israel's king was Ahab. He was married to Jezebel. Jezebel, known for her idol worship, right? And their, their daughter married uh, Jehoshaphat's son. Uh, now, yeah, and then, <clears throat> and then he got involved in some unwise shipbuilding ventures again with a relative of Ahab. This time it was Ahab's son and his name was Ahaziah. So Ahaliah was the daughter. Ahaziah was the son. If you've got any relatives expecting twins, I think those are great names. <laughs> okay. We are a lot like Jehoshaphat. We relegate God to the background when life is easy when decisions are easy, and then when the bad comes, we are on our knees begging um, to get us out of a mess that a lot of times we've created ourselves. Okay, um, just want to set up something that we're going to be talking about when we get to Second Chronicles 20. In Second Chronicles 17, beginning with verse 12, we learn that Jehoshaphat had this massive army. Um, I'll go, it, it, it totaled almost 1.1 million fighting men, brave fighting men. And if you go down through those verses, it kind of does an accounting of where all these soldiers came from. I, I'll, uh, I'll skip that for the sake of time, reading those verses. But I want you to know, he had a big old army. 
Um, even with that kind of army, and this, now we're getting into our passage from Second Chronicles 20. Even with that massive army, when, when three enemies combined and started coming against him, he relied on God. He did not turn to his, himself. I've got all these fighters. I could do this. He relied wholly on God. So let's go ahead. We're going to start 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, and I'm going to read. Before we get there, does anybody have any comments before we get into the passage? Okay, all right, let's start reading. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Now that in Gedi area was like a, it was like almost like an oasis. I kind of think of it as like a state park uh, or maybe a national park that was on the west bank of the Dead Sea. He's in Jerusalem. They've already crossed over and they're coming. They're close is the message. Verse 5. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I've, got, I've told y'all wrong. I'm starting in verse 1 and, uh, of chapter 20. I'm sorry. Uh, so we're in verse 5 now. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. First thing he does when he gets the message is he goes to God. We got, this is bad. They're coming. We're fixing to have a huge battle. And he takes it to God. And, and as we read these next verses, look at the influence this leader had in his words over the people. And look how they respond to what he says about God. I'm in verse, uh, let's see. I'm in verse 7. Let's start there. Our God, you did not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to your descendants of Abraham, your friend. Uh, excuse me. Our God, did you not? Uh, verse 8. They have lived in it and have built, it, built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will call out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. So this is the speech that he makes initially when he finds that the en enemy is coming. Um, he said, you promised this land to our ancestors. You told us it was going to be ours. You told us that you would protect it. We have built this temple in your name. And now we know that we can go to it and that we can, uh, we can cry out in our distress and you'll hear us and save us. Verse 10. 
uh, uh, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came out of Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. They're coming to take our land. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Come on, man, you can rely on yourself. You got 1.16 million soldiers. But what does he say? We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Is that not a lesson for us? But what, what does our American culture tell us? You can do it. You can do it. You can be anything you want to be. You can lift, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, I, and I'm afraid that a lot of times we buy into that. I mean, gosh, think about what we've been through over this election. This, I mean, my faith is not in Donald Trump or Joe Biden. My faith is in God. He is who rules us. He is who I turn to and I should turn to when times are tough. And all this other stuff, does it, at the, in the, at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of things, does it even matter? It doesn't, does it? Jehoshaphat um, sets an example of how to lead and how to rely on God. Now look at how the people were affected. Verse 13. All the men of Judah and their wives and children and little ones, he doesn't leave too many people out there, does he? Stood there before the Lord. So they're following him. They're standing up. They're saying, you're right. We've got to depend on God. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph. Okay, where have you seen that name Asaph in the Bible? In the book of Psalms, right? Yeah, well, he wrote 12 of those Psalms, Asaph did, and there's speculation that he was, uh, he was David's minister of music. He's the one who put all the, all the tunes behind all those songs. So this descendant of David's, and that may be trite to say minister of music, but this descendant of this, this, this very talented man receives the spirit of the Lord. And here's what the, the spirit says. A descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly, so the spirit came on him as he stood there, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Folks, I don't care what we go through in life, how bad you may seem it be, it's getting, the battle is not yours. The battle is God's. 
Verse 16, tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. You don't have to do it yourself, guys. You don't have to do you don't have to be on your own on an island by yourself. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, he's saying, go out there, get ready, be prepared. But God's going to be with you. And then look how Jehoshaphat responds in verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. If you're the spiritual leader of your family, if you're the, a spiritual leader of friends, of your neighborhood, uh, in your church, look how people will respond to your leadership when you do what the Lord wants you to do. He fell down, they fell down. He bowed down, they bowed down. Uh, and they worshiped. Then some Levites and some uh, from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised God, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, I don't know if that was singing or praising or yelling or uh, having the Spirit of God manifest, come out of their bodies. Uh, I don't know what that praise was all about, but I know what these next verses say about singing. And when I read this, I thought, man, the emotion of what I was singing to my mom how that built up in me and look what he says um, verse 20 early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa they set out as they set out Jehoshaphat stood and said listen to me Judah and people of Jerusalem how faith have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld have faith in his prophets uh, and you will be successful after consulting the people Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord he got the male chorus out. And to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, we give thanks, uh, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. These singers were leading them into what they thought was going to be battle. And what were they saying? Thank you, God. Your love endures forever. Folks, don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever think in the worst misery you go through in life that God's not with you. He is always there. And his love endures beyond anything you can reason. So, verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against, against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. They started fighting among themselves. These two groups went over there on the Mount Seir folks, wore them out. And then, rather than turning their efforts toward Judah, after that, they finished slaughtering the men of Seir. They helped destroy one another. <laughs> they started fighting. 
God did it. Judah didn't have to lift a, a finger, didn't have to lift a sword. The battle ended among all those people when they started destroying each other. Verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. This was complete, complete deliverance. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. So not only did he deliver them, then he, God blessed them after that. The blessings were great. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, and they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem retur returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. My, here, all right, I, this is Keith Bain. Look at all this plunder. Oh, man, look what I did. How wrong can that be? When, when we have those successes in life, <laughs> great job, Keith. <laughs> Way to go. That is not it at all, right? It's God who gives us these successes. Just like the blessings, just like the deliverance, just like the salvation, just like his son, Jesus Christ. That's all God does for us, isn't it? We, we don't deserve any of that. The grace that we receive is because of what God, because of God's great love for us. Jehoshaphat's a lot more mature than I am. He immediately gets back to uh, uh, Jerusalem, and he takes everybody, and they go to the temple, and they praise God with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. <laughs> I'm not messing with them. <laughs> all these idols that I've been worshiping they don't hold a candle to the real God and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side um, we, we were driving to eat dinner last night it was about 5.30 after we'd worked all day at, at um, uh, the festival of light Stephanie said I can go to bed right now. <laughs> and I said, well, it's only 5.30. She's like, I could go to bed right now. It, what is it about rest and peace? That's great. But what about rest and peace in the arms of God? What about sitting by your mother at church when you're seven years old? She puts her arm around you. You know that feeling? That is what God does for us. He gives us rest. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. He delivers us. And it's, it's just, it's one of those chill bump things, isn't it? I mean, rest, rest is good, peace is good, but when it's rest and peace from God, 
there is nothing better. You've all, in some time in your life, been delivered from something, and you couldn't say, I did it. You, you said, God did it. Y'all, Mike and Marsha Cunningham and the Burgesses are sitting here today saying, in two weeks' time since my Christian brothers and sisters prayed for us, we've been delivered. When they did that test that Monday on Aspen, the, the, um, the premature closure fusing of his skull was just a little bitty part of it. Uh, but they made the decision, we're, we're going to come on back to the United States from New Zealand. But just a little bitty. It wasn't the whole thing. It just So they've, they've, got some time, they've been bought some time. Mike Cunningham told me, he said, we didn't realize how sick Marshall was. He said the, the people at, at St. Thomas West, the doctors there, when she went for her regular appointment and they found this fluid and they sent her immediately to get that fluid removed, he said they saved her life. And he said if that hadn't happened, I don't know if she would have made it till today. And in two weeks' time, she has to change hospitals, get approval again, go to Vanderbilt, get all that done. God's delivering, God's answering, God's making it happen. She has surgery on, was that Wednesday, Stephanie, for a pump to just, her organs were failing because her heart was so weak. And you get to a point when your organs fail to a point where they just say, sorry, the time has passed. You can't have a transplant. But, but she has that surgery on Wednesday to buy her a little more time. And Friday at 10 o'clock, they say, we've got a heart, 10 p.m., we've got a heart, and we're going to do surgery in the morning. Now, it took all day for that surgery to happen. It didn't happen in the morning. It happened at night. But today, Marsha Cunningham woke up with a brand-new heart. That's two weeks, and God delivered. I mean, what else can you say? Diane didn't do it. Stephanie didn't do it. Tony Simmons didn't do it. We didn't do it, Benny, did we? God did it. It's a, we, we serve an amazing God. Go, go back and read the chapters before uh, this if you want to know a little bit more about Jehoshaphat. I'll stop. Any questions or comments about anything we talked about? Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. You've heard it twice. It may change if I do it again. But uh, anyway, well, y'all, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we love you so much. and We're so grateful for uh, the way that you love us back. It's just a blessing to be here at 4th Avenue. Y'all have a great rest of the day, okay?